time we did this show i'm i'm over the flu but the uh, the sinus uh, part of the flu and its irritation of the throat uh continues uh fellas we're going to start uh, uh and ladies we're going to start talking a, a little bit about the news there uh, was a company uh that's been in the news here a lot uh not nearly as much as it should be because well they've bought uh influence in the media and academia uh and and politics and in the government company was called FTX, not to be confused with FDX, FDX is Federal Express, FTX. It was a crypto exchange. And in addition to creating this marketplace where you could buy and sell cryptocurrencies, uh, it was, uh, it also had their own cryptocurrency like Bitcoin uh, that they created out of thin air and pretended like it had value and used this cryptocurrency that had absolutely no backing to buy things. And this company uh, donated, I think it's over a billion dollars to the Democratic Party, uh, $25 million to the Republican uh, Party. They, they played both sides. Um, and one morning, it was worth $32 billion. 24 hours later, Chapter 11 and completely bankrupt. Wow. Uh, that Welcome is the, the uh, yeah, that is the world yeah. that we're entering. And I, and I wanted to share that with you because there are a number of, uh, of um, road markers, I would say, on the way to financial oblivion for the United States and the West. And I've talked about uh, most of these at considerable length on this show and on the preceding shows, going back to Shattering Myths and, and all the way through Yada Yada Radio for, oh, better part of now 20 years. So this is, this is not new information. It's just that in the last 
two to four years, things have accelerated to the point that we could collapse in 24 hours. You could go to bed one night and the world is as, well, you know it now. Of course, the world changed radically with COVID-19. We never thought that it, it could change that radically one day to the next, and it did. Uh, this change will make COVID-19 look like you stubbed your big toe. Uh, this change will be to complete economic collapse and anarchy. Uh, here are the, uh, the issues. And I'm, I'm not sharing this to scare anybody. I'm not sharing this to pretend like I'm a prophet or that I'm an economic expert. I, I'm none of those things. Uh, Scares me. But I, 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 I do read a lot. I share a lot. Um, and uh, yeah. uh, I'm reasonably good at putting the pieces together. And it appears mm-hmm. that uh, that I have this one right. It all begins when um, the United States decided to go off the gold standard and create a fiat currency with a, um, a central bank, and nation after nation follows suit. A fiat currency is a currency that's not bat- backed by an asset, but instead is a debt instrument. So it is actually a liability. And... When the United States did that, there really was no chance of it succeeding because there's no controls, no restraints on it at all. Uh, and it's, uh, it is a religious instrument. The moment people lose faith in it, it ceases to have any merit at all. Uh, the problem has been that, they, that because it's a fiat currency, the United States has gone into grotesque government spending at a monumentally accelerated rate uh, under um, uh, George uh, W. Bush, uh, then again under, well, actually beginning under Ronald Reagan as he tried to build the Navy of all mm-hmm. navies, uh, and uh, uh, exacerbated tremendously under uh, Obama, uh, uh, also under uh, both of the, uh, the Bushes. And then uh, Trump, with his $4 billion COVID recovery plan to try to recover from the draconian effect that his lockdowns had on the, uh, the economy. And, uh, and yet he was um, uh, a spiker compared to what uh, Weekend at Bernie's has uh, done with the progressives in charge. So we have destroyed the value of our currency by uh, by creating the illusion of money. And the United States has been able to do that uh, through quantitative easing, which is to say we create the illusion of money, we put it on the, uh, on the account of the Federal Reserve and pretend like the Federal Reserve actually had the money that it's lending to the United States because no one wants our, tre- our T-bills anymore. We can't sell them, so we create the illusion that, uh, that this is an asset. The reason we're able to do that is because of a deal that Henry Kissinger worked out, 1974, I think, was the year. Uh, and the um, Saudi Arabia was leading a, uh, a concept called OPEC, and they wanted the United States to support the concept of this monopoly that held a gun to the world. And so what we did is we told Saudi Arabia they could nationalize uh, the uh, the all of the oil production, which means take it over as, uh, as a family, the, uh, the Saud family, that they could uh, 
rest assured that the United States would protect them. That's the reason why the United States got involved in the first Iraq war. Uh, we had a pledge to protect with our military, Saudi Arabia. And the deal we made was that uh, we will protect you, we will have your back, and uh, you can go ahead and form OPEC. We don't care what it does to our economy, our, our citizens, or the world's uh, citizens. We only want one thing from you, an ironclad commitment that you will only trade oil for dollars. Dollars, so yeah. as the world needs your oil, they will have to buy dollars to buy that oil. That was the deal we made. And after World War II and uh, from that moment on, the United States became what was called the reserve currency of the world. If you wanted to buy an exported product, it was monetized in dollars and you had to have dollars so that every nation in the world, every large corporation, had to have a stash of dollars, which made dollars valuable. And what I have said for years now, that because of the belligerence of the United States and because of the fact that the United States is devaluing their currency at, at an astonishing rate uh, with deficit spending, uh, that a time will come when the dollar is no longer the reserve currency of the world. Well, two things have happened, actually three things have happened to make that uh, reality inevitable, absolutely inevitable. I cannot tell you if it's going to take, if this will happen next week, next month, next year, or in the next five years, but it is absolutely going to happen. The things that have occurred is the first is the largest infrastructure investment and the planet's history. Uh, the Chinese uh, formed an initiative with 100, I think it's 47 countries, representing 90% mm -hmm. of the world's population. It's their Belt Road uh, plan, where they are linking all of the world, well, 90% of the population of the world, with China and with one another for economic trade through land routes, rail routes, uh, truck routes, uh, shipping lanes, uh, and all of it bypasses Western Europe and the United States. It was specifically designed to include countries like Russia and Iran and Pakistan, even South America through the shipping uh, lanes, mm -hmm. uh, India. And it is the largest infrastructure project in the history of the world. And it takes 90% of the world and it isolates it from the United States and from Europe and therefore from those economies. So while not one of those economies could topple the U.S. economy independently, collectively, they overwhelm it. Well, that was not the last shoe to drop. There have been two more. The next one is there is an alliance of countries. Uh, Brazil is one of those countries. India is one of those countries. Iran is another. China mm -hmm. and Russia are members. Uh, and there are countries joining every day. It's soon every country in uh, uh, this part of OPEC will be part of it. Nigeria, I think, is uh, part of it as an OPEC country. It's called BRIC, mm -hmm. B-R-I-C. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, BRIC, I think it's uh, Brazil, is uh, was one of the founding mm-hmm. countries. Uh, India is one of the founding countries, Russia and China. Uh, so, BRIC. Uh, their intent, their primary intent, is to get around having to use dollars as the world's reserve currency. They want to buy buy oil and sell oil as well as uh, natural gas, as well as other commodities and ruples and, and, uh, and Chinese yuan and the basic currencies of, uh, of those countries. It was made has, is no longer in force. And we will wake up one day very soon where we're going to have to face that music. And it was accelerated worldwide by America's uh, last two withdrawals, the way we left Vietnam and worse, the way we left Afghanistan. Now, we never should have been in Vietnam. We never should have been in in Afghanistan. And I spoke out against both wars uh, at the time we were invading and all the way through and explained why these were lose-lose games where in both situations we were making bad situations worse and there was no hope for any other outcome. Well, because of the way we left, the world is questioning, why would anyone trust America? And it got much worse when the United States came up with the pretext to draw Russia into war with Ukraine. most of the world knows what, uh, at least outside of Europe and the United States, knows what was, what was done, that we threatened to militarize uh, Ukraine along the Russian uh, border, and the Russians said, no, you can't do that. Our vital interests, you having a military presence in the Ukraine. And so once we drew them into that war, and we tried to draw them into the war back in 2013, we've been trying to fight this war with them and have done everything we can to, uh, to spend many, many tens of billions of dollars, I think it's up now to uh, $100 billion, funding the Ukrainian war machine, where we are literally at war with Russia. And we have part of that was to sanction Russia and to remove Russia from SWIFT, which is the international clearing agency for, uh, mm-hmm. for financial transactions and to sanction all of their banks. So what did Russia do? They increased their trade with China, with Iran, Mm -hmm. and with the countries that are part of the Belt and Road Initiative with China, 150 of them, and they solidified their position within BRIC. And the Russian economy hasn't missed a, a beat. In fact, it's stronger than it was. And now trading partners that America had that were doing business in dollars are doing business in India. This was one of the greatest miscalculations in the history of humankind. And we were on it. We talked about this going back into 2013. Did a series of radio shows on it. The combination of those things, all that has to happen now and the linchpin is Saudi Arabia, and the crown prince despises Biden in the United States, despises him with a passion. 
You know, when Biden said, you know, I tried to get them to uh, lower oil prices and give us more oil during the, uh, the, the period we were having sanctions on Russia, where the world's uh, oil prices were skyrocketing. And he, he said, that's why I'm going to Saudi Arabia. And though I told you I would never do business with him. That was not why he was there. And the Saudis told us that that was not why he was there. And he said, that's what we talked about. Saudi said, no, he never, never even mentioned it. You know why he was there? He begged the Saudis not to become part of BRIC. Mm-hmm. Because if the Saudis join BRIC, it's over. Wow. wow. 24 hours, it's gone. The United States ceases to exist as a viable economy. Is that fast? We can't borrow money. We get into hyperinflation. Interest rates go crazy. Do you know that right now where, they, where the government is reporting, what, 9% inflation? They change the way they calculate inflation to get that number, and they leave out the two top uh, inflationary items that affect families. So based upon the way that inflation was calculated in the 1980s, the inflation rate in the United States is 17%. Mm -hmm. That's damn near hyperinflation. And you know it when you go to the the market. You see it, you know it. Uh, so the Saudis have now signed deals with Russia and China to replace the United States in their defense. That was the entire incentive for uh, Saudi Arabia using the dollar as the exclusive reserve currency to buy oil and gas. The moment Saudi Arabia announces, and they will, that we are now part of BRIC, as are most OPEC nations. The United States economy is no longer viable. So uh, I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm not telling you that there's an Armageddon coming. In fact, let me, uh, let me go to uh, some good news in the midst of the bad news. And by the way, yeah, I was very clear. The world's going to become a very difficult place to live. Yes. And, and we don't have a lot of time for it to crumble. So it's important for people to know that the politics and the religions and the culture and all the things that you have thought are a constant and will be there tomorrow as they were today, no, they're not. And you have a very short time to get to know uh, Yahweh and take advantage of what he's offering. I have uh, spent the last couple of weeks doing something I have never done before, something I never thought I would ever do. Uh, I was tuned into it a bit when I, was, uh, I wrote this last volume. It's a lar- lo- the largest volume, the longest uh, by pages volume of any in the Yada Yahweh series on uh, uh, the book of Daniel. And having uh, recently completed it, you know, I learned that, that the majority of Daniel is not true. And that there are portions which are true, but only because they were actually delivered by real prophets, the lead of which was uh, Dode, uh, who was miscast as uh, Gabriel. And then Elia is the second voice uh, of uh, of that. There's also a voice of Makael. But uh, um, all three of the supposed angels, they're not angels at all. They're men. Anyway, uh, 
I became accustomed there to doing something I had never done before, which is to take a book that is supposedly part of the quote-unquote Bible that uh, people believe was inspired by God and rip it to shreds. And I want to tell you, Daniel was no prophet. In fact, he was a disgusting human being. So, I'm, my focus now, having written you know, 24, 25 volumes, is to focus on future events because we have so little time. So I figured, all right, uh, let's jump into Ezekiel. Right? That's where the Magog mm-hmm. War is presented. And what I've always said is, I need to translate very carefully scrutinize Ezekiel to determine whether or not there is one war or two wars being fought between now and the time that Yahweh and Dod return. Right. And so the question is, is the battles that are waging or are, are, uh, being waged around Jerusalem, are they the same as the quote-unquote Magog War? And the Magog War you'll find out that while Magog is mentioned uh, several times, one, it's uh, uh, mentioned just as a name of a, uh, of, uh, of, of a person in Genesis having nothing to do with the Magog as a, as a region of the earth or Gog as a person. Uh, it's mentioned also in Chronicles, but again, it's an uh, it's a individual just happens to be by that name that's related to another person who is, is well-known. Uh, the Magog War is only in two places, Ezekiel and Revelation. Yep. But I'm here to tell you that without equivocation, no part, none, absolutely nothing in Ezekiel is true. Ezekiel wow. is not a prophet. The book of Ezekiel is completely and totally demonic. The depictions of, uh, of God are of Satan. And everything that is said in the book is satanic. And the theme of the book through the first, and I've, I've translated, I think, through 17 uh, chapters of the book of Ezekiel, you could summarize it all into uh, the Lord hates Jews. The Lord's goal is to kill every Jew, but he wants to torment them before he kills them. And it's only after he torments them and kills them that they're going to recognize that he, the Lord, is Yahweh. So you can't even translate Yahweh's name. You can't even transliterate it in the book. Because it is Satan saying that he's going to kill and torment Jews until they acknowledge that he is God. The two books that were allegedly written in Babylon are Babylonian. So, what that means is there's no millennial temple. It means that the book of Revelation that I have questioned for so long Mm -hmm. picked the wrong prophet to plagiarize and is not true. (laughs) It also means that there is no Magog War, no millennial temple, and most people don't know this, uh, scholars do, but... um, Ezekiel contradicts the Torah with reckless abandon. Uh, there are considerably fewer Moed Mikre, and the menu for the Moed Mikre changed considerably. 
land allocated to the 12 tribes in the borders of Israel change uh, considerably. There are many, many variations and contradictions of the Torah. One of the most outstanding is that there is no kaporim. And guess why there's no kaporim? If the Lord of Babylon gets his way, there isn't a single Jew going to be alive to reconcile his relationship with Yahweh. So we do have one thing to look forward to. There will not be a Magog war. That does not mean that there aren't Muslims acting uh, badly. The Palestinian Islamic Jihad has now partnered with Hamas to, uh, to create the, uh, the Islamic terrorists that thought it would be fun to blow up uh, the bodies, uh, to put shrapnel bolts and glass marbles in the bodies of uh, almost 30 uh, Jews, killing one. They have uh, found him. He has confessed to the crime, of course, Allahu Akbar. He thought he did a really good thing. He said that his uh, family was the ones that convinced him that he should go off and uh, do this. They uh, introduced him to other members of the family who were in the the Pakistanian Islamic Jihad. And they um, uh, took him to uh, over to Gaza and uh, to work with Hamas to um, brush up on his bomb-making skills. It is a... Um, That's disgusting. And, of course, the... Uh, a member of the uh, Knesset uh, would uh, have us believe that the occupation is reaping the price of its crimes against the Fakistinians. It is amazing. All the while, the United States uh, has uh, General Mark Milley has come out and says, you know, that if we keep on uh, giving uh, tens of billions of dollars of, uh, of our best weapons to the Ukraine, they're going to win that war. And we're going to continue to supply them with weapons for as long as it takes. So what's going to happen if he is right and the Russians fail in their conventional war in the Ukraine? Do you think they're going to pull out, go back into Russia and say, oh, gee, we're really sorry, we, we, but we don't hold any animosity against the United States for killing our soldiers and for equipping the Ukrainians with uh, tens of billions of dollars of weapons. No, we, we don't have any animosity, and, and we're just going to go back and we're going to apologize and say we were wrong. Forget and forget. Yeah. Or are they going to deploy mm. nuclear weapons? Of course. The answer is so easy that it's amazing that people can't figure it out. You know, neither Fakistanians nor uh, uh, Jews are uh, playing in the, uh, the World Cup that's over in uh, Qatar. And uh, an amazing thing. I mean, the Qataris uh, don't have uh, a population that's capable of supporting the number of stadiums uh, necessary for this. So the whole thing is just nothing but a show-and-tell boondoggle. They bribed their way into uh, into getting uh, the award, and they bring over 30,000 workers from other countries because the Qataris themselves don't want to work, and uh, 6,000 of them die in the horrific conditions that they were forced to live and work. And there seems to be no remorse by FIFA. If you're a soccer fan, shame on you. But uh, 
there have been protests. Yeah, the protests have uh, fake Estonians uh, waving their, their fake Estonian flag, uh, telling the world that uh, Jews are the uh, occupiers of their own land, by the way, and that uh, it uh, rightfully belongs to, uh, to them. Truly amazing. Hey, but I do have for you uh, kink fans, I do have some good news. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Ivy League giant, Princeton. Uh, which charges uh, $80,000 a year for uh, tuition, now has a series of classes which include black and queer, leather, black leather and BDS culture, fat, the F word, and the public body. You can take BDSM culture classes along with Black Lives Matter and queer and leather at uh, Princeton University. I thought you needed to uh, to uh, know. And what's good about that is that they they are, oh there's fireworks, fireworks being uh, shut off for reasons I I do not know outside my uh, my window. Uh, looks like they're being shot shot Asher please. Azure, please. Yes, I have a full-on fireworks show going on outside of uh, my window. The fireworks are less than, oh, I would say, uh, three or four hundred yards away. Oh wow! So it must be uh, Thanksgiving that, uh, <laughs> that they, they decided. Oh goodness! Yes, the world is crashing down, and now. I have fireworks, and my Wookie, my Asher is barking at them, and my Wookie dog has got his leg between his, his tail between his yeah. legs, and is sitting now in my lap, saying, "Please save me." All right, Aww. that's enough. Uh, that is. That okay. is oh no! <laughs> oh, he's shaking like a leaf. Poor kid. Yeah. Oh. Poor little guy. Yeah, poor guy. All right, so. By the way, the last time they uh, they did this, my boat, which is in the marina, uh, cost me several thousand dollars to uh, scrape the uh, the uh, burnt residue of fireworks off. Because last time, like yeah. this time, they chose to shoot them from the beach with the prevailing wind, going right over the <laughs> marina. But no, they uh, haven't learned their uh, lesson. Uh, but the good news <laughs> is the uh, the marina is owned by a Mormon, so you know. That he's an honorable man. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, indeed. Okay, we're going to return to the book of uh, Hosha. Hosha is uh, is probably the book. In fact, I would take where it would probably. If you're Jewish and you want to know why the relationship with God has been so crummy why uh, you are allegedly the chosen people and every place you turn, uh, things don't look like you were chosen for the wrong thing. Why is it that the world hates you and, uh, and yet uh, you're supposed to be this uh, exemplar of uh, righteousness uh, from uh, a God whose name you don't even know? The answer to that question is presented brilliantly in uh, the book of Hosea. Uh, we are, are towards the end now of the second chapter in our review, covered the, uh, the beginning chapters. Uh, 
and to convey this message, Yahweh is on a theme. And the theme that he is using is that, uh, that of, uh, of a whore. He asked uh, his prophet, uh, Hosha, uh, to marry a temple prostitute. And well, actually, there's really no concept of marriage in the, the Torah, but uh, nonetheless, he, he said, go, go and... Go have a day. Go and, yeah, go, go, go and, and do it with a temple prostitute. Uh, her name was Gomer. And the reason for that is God wanted Hosha to have empathy, to, to understand what it was like to try to have a relationship with Israel. I mean, Israel is the country that they didn't get a hundred feet away from the pursuing Egyptians before, uh, rather than thanking Yahweh, they built a, uh, a golden calf to honor the gods of the country that had tormented them. And all along the way, uh, they worked uh, tirelessly to figure out how is it that we can go about antagonizing the God who saved us and liberated us. So, Hosha, and he specifically asked Hosha to marry this temple prostitute so that when he speaks to Israel, uh, his message has, uh, has emotion, that it has grit, that it has a bite that is beyond what simply repeating the words of Yahweh would otherwise convey. It is why Yahweh always speaks through men and women. Uh, God has not lived uh, in our bodies uh, and not experienced you know, what it really is like to be stuck in, in three dimensions. Uh, and yet he wants to have this relationship with us. So when he tried to speak directly to us, uh, he did it both with uh, Adam and Chawa, did not work out very well. Uh, then he tried to do it again uh, with the children of Israel during the Yatza Exodus. And they begged him, said, no, 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 we don't want to hear your voice no. again. Don't ever talk to us again directly. And God said, yeah, yeah I understand. Uh, I do need to tone it down. And so the answer was that he would exclusively speak through individuals such as Moshe, Shamuel, uh, Dot, uh, Yashayai. Uh, Yermaya and of course Hosha and these individuals uh, help to provide a perspective and and uh, uh, um, a degree of kind of pathos to God's uh, uh, testimony that helps resonate with us uh, and Hosha is just a marvelous example so if Jews want to understand why their relationship with God is so screwed up, why those who are pretending to speak for God, the Herodim, are the most colossal, absolute morons on earth playing religious drop, who clearly don't have a clue as to who God is. How is that possible? Well, the answer is in Hosha. Hosha 2.11 reads. This is actually uh, 2.10 of 11. However, at this time, right now, I am revealing, this is Wa'ata Gala. Uh, I am, for the foreseeable future, causing her to be exposed, uncovering that which is associated with her stupidity. 
and her foolish lewdness and shame, her senseless and disgraceful conduct from the actionable root of Nabal to be ignorant and irrational, despicable and despised in the sight of her most intimate lovers and passionate desires. And no individual shall save her out of my hand. Then I will observe the Shabbat by causing a cessation of all of her merry celebrations, her festival feasts, her new moon observances, her approach to the Shabbat, her designated celebrations. Now, this is a really insightful uh, statement. So, first of all, God's saying that that the religiosity of his people has caused them to behave like prostitutes. They're trading money for the uh, the uh, profaned affection, and they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And that where their stupidity really shines is among each other. They're not being stupid with God because they don't even know who God is. They're being stupid and lewd and shameful with one another. Boy, if you just look at the activities of the Herodim, that's exactly what we see. And he says, no individual is going to save her out of my hand. I'm not trying to save the Herodim. I'm not trying to save a progressive Israelites or Jews. I can't. They're way too passionate about their politics and their religion to ever be open-minded, rational, rational and reasonable. Can't be reached. But there are some 20% of Israelites that fall between the left and right extreme that can be reached. And I've devoted 21 years now of my life to expressly that purpose. And while I'm not the one saving them, Yahweh is, I can at least point those who are willing to listen to him in the right direction. Then there's a a very interesting use of Shabbat. Shabbat, uh, we talked about this, Kirk, before the program Mm -hmm. began. Shabbat is the only Hebrew noun that I'm aware of that is not defined by its verbal root. But it clearly is not. And what we have to wonder is, is the verbal root of Shabbat wrong? And that Shabbat is a celebration of the promise associated with the seventh day. The seventh day mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, is uh, Stuka, where uh, after we have benefited from Pesach and eternal life and Matzah and being perfected and Kodam being adopted into God's covenant family and uh, Shabuah where we, uh, we were enriched and were empowered and enlightened by God so that on Teruah, uh, we can be effective witnesses warning the world about the kinds of things that are going to happen, as we did in the beginning of this show, and also sharing with them, as we are now, the path uh, home, that a, a reasonable number, hopefully many, not likely, filed with Yahweh, 
accept him by name, understand the terms and conditions of his covenant on Yom Kippurim in year 6000 Yah when he returns with the Messiah, Dote, David. That mm-hmm. is uh, our calling, and where, where that ends is with Sukkah, where we get to camp out with Yahweh here on earth for a thousand years as the earth is restored to the conditions experienced in Eden. So the Shabbat speaks of that end result of the seventh day and the promise of seven. It's, it speaks of us returning to Eden and God's promise to take us back there. And so this says, I shall observe the Shabbat, but the verbal root speaks of by causing a sensation of all. I'll put an end to, stopping, removing every one of her celebrations, her festival feasts, her new moon observances, and her approach to the Shabbat and all of her designated celebrations. Now, Christians wanting to support the Pauline doctrine of the, the Torah is uh, uh, condemns and that uh, the Torah was nailed to the, uh, the cross and no longer has any value, and we shouldn't be uh, stuck with any of those, and those things are all Jewish celebrations, we'll look at this statement and say, see, that's proof. But no, exactly the opposite. Pesach, Matzabakotim, Shabuah, Teruah, Kippurim, and Sukkah, as well as the Shabbat, they aren't they don't belong to Yisrael they don't belong to Yahudim Jews they're Yahweh's that's it they are Yahweh's so this condemnation this cessation is of your the Jewish celebrations and if you look at them Mm -hmm. the Jews celebrate Pesach as if they were Cain Everything goes on the plate except lamb. Only have vegetables. They don't even celebrate matzah anymore. They don't even speak of it. All they will do is say, oh, we're going to play a game with the uh, shamats, the, the yeast, and we're going to give it to the Gentiles for safekeeping. Uh, they don't care anyway. They're going to die anyway. What do we care about them? And we'll just take it back after, uh, after Passover is over. So Passover becomes the seven-day celebration, and matzah is only a missing ingredient during the celebration of Passover. Bakurim means nothing to them. They have no idea that it means firstborn children, those who are born into the covenant family, or that Dode, David, is the Bokor, the firstborn son of God. They don't celebrate Shabuah anymore because it became the Christian Pentecost and don't understand the value of being enlightened and enriched and empowered by God. Teruah, they turned into um, uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, the Babylonian head of the year. Somewhere in there, they threw in uh, Purim from the book of Esther, which is another one that's not inspired because of Esther's uh, workings with, uh, I guess it was with Xerxes, convincing him not to carry through this plot to wipe out the Jews. It's a complete myth. None of it happened. It's not true. The book is trash. Purim is meaningless. And then they've added Hanukkah based upon the Maccabees because the great uh, miracle of the Maccabees, who, by the way, uh, cost many, many Jews their lives. The miracle yeah. of the Maccabees was that uh, mm-hmm. that uh, the oil lamp lasted 
longer than they had anticipated. Therefore, their menorah is not Yahweh's menorah, just as their festivals are not Yahweh's festivals. Their menorah has nine candles. Look at any menorah. Yahweh's has seven. Yeah. Details like this matter. Yes, and so, Yom Kippurim, Kippurim means to reconcile. The Kippurim is the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And so the whole idea of Kippurim, which is the day Yahweh is returning with Dod, is that Yisrael and Yahudah will be reconciled together and then restored in their relationship with Yahweh. It is the last chance for Jews. The last. And they have turned that day into a day of affliction where they afflict their souls, the opposite of reconciling with God. And the Herodim, to show their great understanding, abused chickens by twirling them over their heads. That's how despicable the religion has mm-hmm. become. And so they, their festivals are putrid. And that's why God says, I'm going to put an end to them. Now, the new moon and uh, Shabbat uh, observances, by the way, those are the observances that Ezekiel, who's inspired by the Lord of Babylon, who is also known as Satan, where did Yahshua tell us, 14th chapter, that Satan was going to rise and establish his position such that he was worshipped over the Most High God, Babylon. Yahweh warned us exactly what was going to happen in Babylon. And so in the book of Ezekiel, oh no, you don't have, uh, I think four of the uh, the seven, the Moed, Mikri are gone, and particularly Kippurim. The Jews can't celebrate it. uh, But it's replaced. Mm -hmm. Guess what it's replaced with? New moon observances and and a Shabbat observance that is an annual event that uh, has a specific menu. Isn't that great, huh? Yeah, boy. <laughs> so this is a, uh, inspired by God, Hoshea is clearly a prophet. And he is saying that, uh, communicating Yahweh's message, and Yahweh is saying, I am so disgusted by Judaism that I will eliminate everything that they're doing. So how do you like those apples? The uh, Shabbat is, as I've shared earlier, and we talked about briefly before the show, is the outlier among Hebrew words. While most nouns are defined by their verbal root, their actionable root, the seventh day is a special case, and that is because the title itself is actionable. Rather than a day to do nothing, as the case of look at rabbinic Judaism, they must have, I bet they have over a thousand laws on how to turn this day into a nightmare. And this new government wants to impose it so that everyone has to observe it their way, which makes it the most difficult day of the year. Yeah. Instead of being the most 
onerous and religious day of the week, Yahweh wants this time set apart to enjoy our relationship. I don't know about you guys, but you're both in, you know, loving family and, and spousal relationships. Do you enjoy your spouse by ignoring her and doing nothing? Hardly. No. No. It doesn't work. Therefore, upon Yahweh's return, he is going to be Shabbating by celebrating the seventh day, beginning on the Shabbat of Sukkah, Friday at sunset, 7th, 2033. That is year 6,000, Yah. Yes, Jews, you have been misled by Mamamides that had this fixation on the number 19 and come up, came up with the most harebrained idea as to uh, the timeline. And he was most assuredly wrong. And anybody that would read what he wrote and why he wrote it would recognize that he's wrong. It is not difficult to establish Yahweh's timeline. Uh, the first four Moed Mikre were fulfilled in year 4000 Yah, which was 33 CE. And the uh, final two will be fulfilled 40 Yobel thereafter in 2033. That is year 6000 Yah. And God's going to celebrate his return by eliminating all traces of Judaism. No, that does not say, no, we're not, we are not black Hebrew Israelites here, heaven forbid. So that's maybe the new dumbest religion in the world. Uh, and uh, one, of the most, one of the most dangerous, uh, too, because uh, they, they make asinine claims uh, in a very anti-Semitic tone. And, and blacks mm-hmm. are going crazy over, uh, over this. You know, they're marching in, in New York with their their fancy little outfits. Uh, they look just like idiots uh, chanting, which uh, if you're marching chanting, you are an idiot. Um, and they, uh, you know, watch out, Jacob, we're the real Jews. Why doesn't somebody bother mm-hmm. to read what Yahweh has to say about Israel, like in the book of Hosea? The last thing you want to be <laughs> is to be Israel yeah. and to be I religious. You. Yeah, listen, yeah. It's great to be a Israelite if you're in the covenant with Yahweh and not religious, but if you're religious, that is the last thing you want to uh, to be. But, uh, and of course, they blame uh, Jews for selling them into slavery when, in fact, they, if it wasn't for Jews, there would, there would have been no civil rights movement. The civil rights movement uh, in America was a, uh, was a Jewish operation from beginning to end. They, uh, they actually created organizations that had Christian names because they knew in America that if uh, Jews were sponsoring them, people would rebel against them. Yeah, they created uh, Christian names, Jews did, to uh, support the emancipation of, uh, of blacks in America. And even Martin Luther King's speech was written by a Jew. Uh, yes. So to blame Jews for your enslavement, when in fact the Jews have been the most enslaved people in the history of humankind, is uh, officially brain dead. But here we have Yahweh saying, I'm going to eliminate all traces of Judaism. Do not think for a moment that that means that Christianity or Islam or any other religion is going to survive. It will not. There was no religion in Eden. There will be no religion uh, upon Yahweh's return. He despises religion, all of them. He has a lot to say that is critical of Christianity, 
but the religion that troubles him the most isn't Christianity or Islam, even though they are both anti-Semitic and both false. It is Judaism, because Judaism has done more harm to Jews than Christianity and Islam combined. Yes. So all of the religions, celebrations, including the perverted ways the Hasidic observe the Moed, Kippurim will never again be a day of atonement, a time to degrade and afflict oneself. And never again will uh, chickens be tortured by perverted Jews. The rules rabbis have imposed to make the Shabbat so burdensome and laborious will be eliminated so that the covenant's children can flourish with their father. But let there be no mistake. Yahweh is not eliminating any part of his plans for his people. His Shabbat, Chag, Moedim will be observed and celebrated forevermore. Ezekiel was wrong. It is only Israel's, her corruptions that are being rebuked and removed. Regarding his Moed Mikre is that they are set apart they are his, and they are eternal. Now, Yahweh creates, and truly, Be'el, the Lord, perverts. Yahweh cannot corrupt, and Baal cannot create. That is why Satan counterfeits. It is why the religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam reflect aspects of Yahweh's message, but as in a mirror, in reverse. Left is now right. Right is now wrong. Mm -hmm. The grapevines which produce wine and are rooted in the land are symbolic of eternal life. The fig tree is a metaphor for Israel. When it is healthy, <laughs> its fruit is considered to be as sweet as honey. When it shrivels, the, is a sign of impending distress and divine judgment on a weakened and dying nation. This is uh, Hosha 2.12. I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she has said, these gratuities are for me, because my sexual partners and lovers have given them to me. However, I will cause them to be a thicket of tangled undergrowth, and the animals of the land shall devour them. This is symbolic. Uh, this is, God is simply saying that the fruit of the land, uh, Jews have claimed as their own, that this is their rightful payment for slutting around and acting religious clergy in the world by three times the next level of uh, clergy. Uh, and so they claim, well, we've, we've earned our wages. These are our gratuities. And uh, God says, no, I'm going to shrivel them up and they're going to be a tangled thicket of undergrowth and going to be devoured. Yeah. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't have gone so quickly. I know, Kirk, you studied Shabbat. Uh, was there something you wanted to add to it or any of these words we've covered this far? 
No, I just I, basically it was it was a struggle, I, and I don't think I've ever spent so much time on a word that I knew. I thought I knew on the different shading of it also, and I do I did read where it's uh, not a it's not um, uh, explained by using the verbal root. Uh, so yeah. uh, it was it was quite a conundrum for me because I mean yes. I can look at the letters and I can see and I've done so many words for so long I know there are dark sides and and a light sides to everyone there's shading to it and in the context of this it is it is a real just he's really uh, uh, being rough I mean like I told you this just reminded myself that the chapter says no mercy. Is entitled no yeah. mercy. Yeah. The, so yeah. Shabbat is the is is a word that uh, because listen, religious Jews define themselves by uh, by their kosher diet and by their observance of uh, Shabbat according to right. rabbinic law, yeah. uh, and and they they get all the millions of things that they cannot do from the verbal root, which means to cease or stop. But mm-hmm. Shabbat is one of those words where there is a message in Shabbat, which is the basis of Shabbat, uh, that is far more powerful than, than the verb. And the uh-huh. Shabbat means two things. One is to promise an oath or a vow, a promise, an oath, or a vow, and seven. Understood. <laughs> That's yes. why I shared with you. The single most important part of Shabbat is that it conveys the promise of seven, and the promise of seven is the benefits of observing as they were intended the seven Moed Mikre, which lead to camping out with God for all time. Mm-hmm. That is the best way to interpret Shabbat as opposed to the verbal uh, root. Okay. So I will take an inventory and record against her for the time and association with the Balaam, the Lord's. Because she blew smoke, burned incense, and made offerings to them. And she was adorned, plain religious dress-up, with her ornamental rings and circular objects. Bejeweled, she went after her lovers, pursuing her desires and illicit relationships. And she ignored and then forgot me, prophetically announces Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want absolute proof of this, you want proof of this? Read the Zohar, read the Talmud, read the Mishnah. In fact, go and read the Jewish Publication Society's Tanakh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See if you can find Yahweh's name. You won't. They have not just forgotten about him, they've annulled him. Several of those texts, and it's not there. No, they they have outlawed the mention, the use of Yahweh's name. So God says, "I'm going to take an inventory and a record against you because, well, you still speak of the Lord, and they do, but the Lord is Baal. Plural is Baalim. The Lord." Baal, to describe uh-huh. Satan is because Satan wants to control, to lord over, to be the master. Be obeyed. He is the lord of Babylon. He is the, the lord of religion. He's the one that wants you to fear him, to worship him, 
to bow down before him. Yahweh was none of those things. He is our father. He doesn't want us to bow down to him. He instead wants us to stand up. He wants to lift us up so we can stand and walk with him. Amen. He doesn't want us to worship him. He wants to engage in a meaningful and enjoyable family relationship with us. The covenant is a family. It's not a religion. So Satan's desire to lord over men so that he is seen above God is the opposite of what God wants. Rather than us lifting God up in some kind of praise or prayer, God says, that's stupid. You can't do that. And it's counterproductive. The whole idea was I created you to be part of my family so I could lift you up as if you are my children. Duh. So Baal is the antithesis of who Yahweh is and the relationship he wants to have with us. So, and Israel, uh, we, in fact, we went through this whole uh, thing of what uh, Elia had to do to eliminate uh, the king and queen's uh, uh, fascination with uh, Baal and with Asherah, the queen of heaven and mother of God that mm-hmm. Roman Catholics have uh, fashioned into the Madonna and child. Yeah. Yeah. And so God is saying, yeah, you blew smoke to them, you made offerings to them, you associated with them, you played religious dress-up, to them, God is not a fan of religious dress-up. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you have your your round uh, circular objects, the round earrings, the round wedding rings, the uh, the halos. You uh, you draw above your saints' heads. Oh yeah. Your Christmas wreaths, all of that stuff. Solar. It's uh, the yamaka that uh, the kippah that uh, religious Jews will. It's a a circular disc, symbolic of the sun god. Bejeweled, she went after her lovers, pursuing her desires in an illicit relationship. What God is saying here is also subtle. Religion exists largely because of women, even though they're subjugated. I mean, women have no rights in uh, Judaism. That's the reason why the religious parties are uh, trying to uh, get a ban on the court order for equal rights. They want to have all of their events and be able to subjugate women uh, and not be uh, in violation of, uh, of anti-discrimination laws. You know, in Islam, a woman... It's worth nothing. A man can beat her, kill her, torture her, rape her, whatever he wishes to do. And it's A-OK with Allah. When is raped in an Islamic country, she is the one who is beaten to death, not the rapist. Yes. And the same thing, yes. by the way, is true with the Hindu religion. So uh, they're not much mm-hmm. better on it. And, of course, Paul said no. that men can lord over women. Uh, women do not fare well in religion, and yet they're the reason religion exists. If they would stop supporting the religion and stop using their womb as a tool to manufacture more religious, religion would stop immediately. 
And it's never more true than in Judaism, where women have absolutely no rights, and yet they capitulate to all of the disgusting demands that are placed on them by the Herodim. And they're turning their wombs into manufacturing plants to make more religious with, what, seven children per womb. God's saying you're selling your womb for this illicit religious relationship. And yet, in the process, you forgot about me. And there's only one way, you know, to, uh, to benefit in the end. There's only one way for Yisraelites, Yehudim, Jews, to reconcile the relationship with Yahweh. It's by accepting the terms and conditions of the covenant, by attending mm-hmm. the seven Moed Mikre, by coming to know Yahweh, understand what he is offering, and accepting what uh, he is asking in return. And the first step of that is to understand who he is. Now, just knowing his name is not enough, but it's a good first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there isn't a religious Jew or a progressive liberal Jew who will even say his name. And if you bring up his name among a Roman Catholic or a Protestant or Christian or Orthodox Christian, they will um, uh, oh, got lots of names. Fume, lots of names. fume at you. But they'll call their God the Lord. They'll refer yes, to Jesus as if he's God. They'll parade around under the symbol of a dead God on a stick. I was reading an article today mm-hmm. that in the United States, um, about 30% of businesses and, uh, and uh, HR departments think it is appropriate to be anti-Semitic. They either said they're uh, the owners of the business uh, encourage anti-Semitism, or they justify being anti-Semitism because Jews have too much power, Jews make too much money, Jews are too annoying, or Jews killed Jesus. That's well. Anti-Semitism is so prevalent that 30% of businesses in their HR department not only acknowledge that they're anti-Semitic, but justify being anti-Semitic and thinking it's good. We don't want to be around those Openly. That's all done openly. 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 Now, understand, there's an enormous difference between hating Jews because of you don't like the race. If you hate Jews because you dislike the race, you have your conspiracy theories, then understand that you are antagonizing God, and yes. that uh, your um, your fate is uh, is at best to die. And if you promote it, you'll spend eternity in Sheol, which is hell. So it is a very very costly mistake. It is not an innocent crime. Uh, God takes it very seriously. But it's another thing entirely to do it. Yahweh is doing, which is to say, I hate Judaism. In fact, the most loving thing you can do for a Yahud Jew is to expose and condemn Judaism, because there's nothing that has separated Jews from God more than the religion of Judaism. So it's a very important distinction, and it's a distinction the rabbis don't want you to make. 
they literally want to define Jew as a as an ultra-orthodox religious person. It's not about ethnicity anymore. It's about no. religiosity. And this is why God is so frustrated. Literally. God's animosity is with the religion of his people, and it's palpable. The most prevalent and repeated theme throughout the Torah and prophets is God speaking out against what is now known as Judaism on behalf of Jews. And this statement's no exception. Think of that for a moment. The Torah, prophets, and Psalms referred to as the Tanakh has one theme that is more prevalent than all others, overwhelmingly so. And it's God's animosity against Judaism on behalf of Jews. Pretty amazing. So, mm-hmm. Yahweh is exposing and condemning Israel's attraction to its worship of false gods. Whether they are blowing smoke or playing religious dress-up, God is disgusted by what the rabbis have done and what Judaism is doing. To denigrate that the Assyrians, the Philistines of old, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Roman Catholics, the Europeans as Nazis and the Muslims, and now progressives are denigrating God's people. And that they have tormented them and tortured them and enslaved them for thousands of years. And yet in all of that time, nothing has done more harm to Jews than Judaism. Each time I consider what... Rabbi Samson, remember we read uh, last week Mm -hmm. Rabbi Mm -hmm. Samson had to say in his essay on prophecy, the Geiger counter uh, rings in uh, Israel and and how the only prophets today are rabbis. And I'm here Mm -hmm. to tell you there are no prophets today. There haven't been a prophet in 2,500 years. Not one. Malachi was the last prophet. You know, I've gotten to know Yahweh pretty well. I've written a lot about what he had to say. I'm just a witness. The last prophet was Malachi, and there has been nonsense. These men, the rabbis, the whole lot of them, including Paul, who was a rabbi, uh, they all sound alike. They're among the most disgusting individual the world has ever known. And just look at them. Oh, God, if you, when you know that the venom that flows out of their, uh, of their mouths, the disgusting things that they write, uh, your view of them will be exactly as God's. Unlike the infamous Gentiles who were savages, Yehudim are guilty of taking Yahweh's words and his gifts and squandering them, perverting them and then tossing them at the feet of their rabbis and other false gods. There will be a judgment day, 
Let me assure you of that. And being in the company of rabbis will be akin to being among the prophets of Baal when uh, he or they went against Elia. So I'd recommend running away before your soul is irreparably singed. Or if you prefer, you can do as the Herodim have done. Pretend to be Torah observant, even righteous, and ignore everything Yahweh has revealed in opposition to Judaism. And see how that turns out for you. Some will disavow them, leave their crippling world forevermore. And this transitional statement, Yahweh is pointing the way back home. He is talking about the transition from Azab to Bereth. The door is open. The only question is, are you? Hosea 2.14, therefore, and by contrast, Long thereafter, lock him. Behold, Hannah, pay attention. Knowing that she has been deceived, I will leave the way open to persuade her should she become open-minded. Anoki Petoth, he. Since she is easily seduced and enticed, Having been readily misled and gullible, I will provide ample space. At that moment, I will walk with her to ponder the word, even in the place where these statements have been questioned, such that I speak words to her heart, making an impression upon her judgment and her thinking. Beginning then and there, I am prepared to give to her so that she can approach the vineyards, the vine dresser, her garden, and the resulting fruit. The valley of Accor of troubles will become an open doorway of hope, of confidential, of confidently, I should say, expecting a good and beneficial future. And then and there, along with the name, she will respond with the answer, as in the days of her youth, as in the day when I lifted up and she ascended out of the land of Mitzrayim, which is the crucibles of political and religious oppression. Hosha 2.15. That's a lot to chew on. Mm-hmm. But the difference between Yahweh and, for example, the Lord of Babylon and Ezekiel is that Yahweh will say, your religiosity has become frustrating. It's killing you. I, I want to compare it to a prostitute so that you come to appreciate why I dislike it so. Because my goal is to share words with you. I want to leave the way open for those of you who have been deceived, should you be able to be open-minded. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to contemplate these great statements and questions together. Let's share words. 
Let's make good decisions. That's what God wants. That's what he's offering to you. It doesn't sound like too much to ask for. In fact, it sounds like everything he is requesting from you, Yisrael, is in your interest. He wants you to know, to understand, to be open to what he has to say. He wants you not to bow down and worship him, but to walk with him. Not to read the Talmud, but to ponder his words. He wants to speak to your heart. He wants to make an impression on you and your judgment and your thinking. He says, uh, I am prepared. This is Yahweh speaking. I am prepared to give her what she needs to approach. Pesach, Matzah, Bukotam, Shabuah, Teruah, and Kaporam leading to Sukkah. I am prepared to give her what she needs to approach. And then she can enter the vineyards, join the vine dresser, reap the fruit of that garden. And the valley of troubles will become an open doorway of hope and confidently expecting a good and beneficial outcome. It is sad for Jews that when they were tormented all of those years in Mitzrayim and the crucibles of human oppression that we call Egypt today using the Greek word, that being liberated by God from Mitzrayim and being given this great gift of the Torah and the land of Israel, that the Jews chose to be unappreciative to worship and speak of other gods. And then when the Assyrians came, the lesson was not learned. Troubles, but they continued to rebel. The Babylonians came, and the message still was not heard. The Greeks came. No change. Three assaults by the Romans. Nope, they still listen to the rabbis over Yahweh. The Roman Catholic Church in 2,000 years of persecution. Nope, the Holocaust, Islamic terrorism. Nothing has been enough to get their attention. The Valley of Accor of Troubles is still where they roam. But God is saying, this time... You're going to look at it and the whole world's going to be against you. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, and it is coming from every possible direction. Coming from right-wing conspiratorial wackos. Coming from religious Christians and Muslims. It's coming from Black Lives Matter and, and from black Israel our Hebrew Israelites, hard even to say that yeah. without choking on it, uh, yeah. coming from all directions, coming from communists, coming from fascists, 
And this time, the trouble will be overwhelming. And your religion and your politics are, are not going to save you. Your IDF is not going to save you. It's time to turn to Yahweh. He has left the door open. That doorway is called Kaporim, the Day of Reconciliations, capitalized, expecting a good and beneficial future. Then and there, along with the name Washam, she will respond with the answer. What is the answer, Yahweh? The Moed Mikre, properly celebrated. Walk away. Mm-hmm. Walk away from religion. Trust and rely upon Yahweh instead. Yes. Accept the covenant. Become part of God's mm-hmm. family. Listen to the guidance of the Torah. Benefit from the insights provided by the prophets. It's an open book test. Respond with the answer. Go to yadayah.com. Yadayah.com means to know Yah. You'll find every one of these books on the shelf. They're all free in their entirety. You can read them on your smartphone, on your tablet, on your laptop, on a PC, or you can go to Amazon. And under the Yadayah series, buy them all. And there's no royalty. We're not trying to profit from you. We want you to profit from us. It's all there for you. Yahweh's testimony, his name properly pronounced, in terms and conditions of his covenant, the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. correct meaning and purpose of each of the Moed Mikre, his timeline, example after example, so that you can come to know him. It's all there along with the name so that you will respond with the answer and that you'll return as you were that brief moment when you were walking out of the crucibles of human oppression. This prophetic announcement opens with a fortuitous offer and a very provocative phrase. A way is being left wide open for reconciliation. Yahweh is even committed to walk beside Yisrael through it all. After exposing and condemning the beguiling and controlling aspects of the religion of his people, God is providing his alternative. We have been offered access to the truth and to that we've been given the freedom to choose, free will. Long after Judaism and its derivatives, Christianity and Islam, have seduced and deceived the gullible, Yahweh has opened a door for the open-minded to walk away from them and return to him. Now, he should have just given up on this. I mean, it's been 3,500 years of aggravation. But he hasn't. He's still standing at the door. He's holding it open for you waiting for his children, should they be willing to walk with him and ponder his word at long last. But this opportunity, written as it was in the perfect conjugation, will not exist forever. This is your moment. Seize it. 
If Midbar, which was one of the words in that text, means wilderness, then Yahweh was promising to speak to his people, even when they are separated from him in a lifeless and barren landscape. If Midbar is to mean desert, then Yahweh is communicating to, once again, uh, and, and promising to draw his people out of the desolate world of religious oppression and into the promised land. A garden awaits. Eden beckons. But more than this, it is apparent that Midbar is comprised of the interrogatory my, which means to question and contemplate, and debar, which is the word of God. Therefore, in the midst of confusing religious claims, false pretenses, and rabbinic charades, rabbinic law, Yahweh will speak to the hearts and minds of those who are willing to listen. He will impress upon his people's thinking about what they need to know to restore their relationship with him. He's given us all of the information that's required to do that. Israel's vineyards will be reestablished, protected and groomed by an accomplished wine dresser. We're being invited back into God's garden. And we will be fruitful and flourish. The Emek Akor, the Valley of Troubles, has a Pitak Tagwa, a doorway of hope. After suffering through three millennia of, of depressions resulting from the profoundly cunning religious plot to deviate away from what God has conveyed, the children's troubles are finally over. Yahweh is providing a portal to an expansive realm, one without the controlling influence of Judaism. Uh, no Christianity, no Islam, no progressives. <laughs> we have been given every reason to confidently expect a good and beneficial future. There is a reason to be optimistic, a way to move forward. That is the good news. It is at Akor that the Israelites, uh, who disregarded Yahweh's instructions at Jericho and stole things from the temples of Baal, were exposed. They were judged and suffered the consequence. Some were stoned to death and then incinerated. Therefore, those who are finally willing to listen, will find a day of reconciliation and a second chance at life. The doorway is being opened. It's available to pass through, paired to anah. Anah is that exceedingly important mm -hmm. word that they, religious tend to corrupt. They will tell you that anah means to afflict. And it can be defined that way, but that is a distant definition. The primary definition of anah is to answer, to respond, to reply. God wants us to anah, respond to him. He is expecting that his people will anah, reply to the invitation 
to meet on this day, which is Yom Kippurim. The Mikra are based on Kara. And Kara means to invite, to summon, to welcome, to greet. It's a day to read and recite, all from the verb Kara. Mm-hmm. These surviving and observant Israelites will be restored. They become God's children. They get to act like children, looking up to and adoring their father. Yehudim will be free again. As surely as Yahweh brought his people out of the bondage of human oppression, religious and political, military and economic, and Mitzrayim, he will liberate them from the babble of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Perhaps also, for those who have an open mind, uh, some progressives, they find truth palatable as well. But the first step is you have to walk away from your politics and from your religion. What is the first thing that Yahweh asked of Abraham? In fact, before he'd even talked to Abraham, he was well on the road out of Ur, Sumai, and then incorporated into Babylon. He was walking away. And Yahweh reemphasized that over and over again. We must walk away from Babylon. Babylon means to confuse by intermixing. It means that truth and lies are woven together and commingled to create a counterfeit that misleads, that confuses, that confounds. It's a very troubling word, uh, Babel, because it is also the basis of Bible. And the word itself is a compound. It means with, ba, bel, the Lord. And the Lord is Satan. So much we can learn when our minds are open. We come to know the difference between the adversary who wants to lord over us, to control us, to have us be religious, to bow down, to pray, to worship, to believe. And Yahweh, who wants none of those things, doesn't want us to worship him, doesn't want us to pray to him, doesn't want us to bow down to, to him doesn't want us to believe him. That's hard for people to grasp. But Yahweh wants his people, Yisraelites, which means those who engage and endure with God, and Yehudim, which means beloved of Yahweh, to know him. Yada. To know him. To be familiar with him. To acknowledge him. To understand what he is offering, what he expects in return. To stand and walk with him. To listen to him and engage in conversation. To explore the universe with him. To be his son and daughter, to be a friend. To be a companion. These things are the opposite of what the religious would have us do. We can't buy our way into forgiveness. We can't earn our way by being righteous. Look at uh, who was doed by his own admission. He says, I have more flaws than hairs on my head, and yet God called him right, which means that he was correct and vindicated. And it's the Torah that has done this for, for him and will do it for us. So this is God's offer. If you're open, the door is open. 
don't walk through it, trying to carry your religion or your politics with you. God's not going to accept it. He'll slam that door in your face, and you'll never get through. Walk away from them. They're lying to you. They're making a fool of you. Walk away from them. And then come to know Yahweh as he revealed himself. Trust and rely upon him. Closely examine and carefully consider the terms and conditions of his covenant relationship. Celebrate his Moed Mekre as they were intended. Walk along that path to Sukkah and enjoy what it means to camp out with our Heavenly Father as he intended. That's the message that he is conveying and that we're conveying. And there's no one we want to listen and capitalize more than his people, Israel and Yahudim. Well, I think we're at a good spot that we can stop. We're no longer broadcasting. We are still recording, but uh, this is, I think, a good place for us to begin our program. Uh, a uh, a okay. week from today, we are in um, Hosha, uh, what, uh, 216. Unless yeah. Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, unless I have missed something, uh, Kirk or D, that you would like to uh, to add or want to critique me for uh, for uh, sharing well, such doom and gloom at the beginning of the uh, of the program. I, I, I thought it was uh, you necessary. Have to be yep. Yeah. I, uh, has anything changed in the Tablet of Stones? And when he said, you know, you have to be away from this stuff to to Oh, I can't be with you. Did that just go over everybody's head? I mean, and I know that may sound simplistic, but <laughs> it ain't changed the story from the start. Yes. Yeah. 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 God hasn't uh, clearly hasn't changed his story. He, he, um, you know, the the reason he shares so much with us about Eden, the Garden of Eden is that we mm-hmm. understand that that's where he, we are headed, <clears throat> those of us who capitalize on the covenant. And so it should be no surprise. There was no government. There was no police. There was no military. There was no economic system, no caste system. There was no subjugation. Fine uh, yeah, no religion, mm-hmm. no politics, no hierarchy mm-hmm. in the Ghani Den. And... Right. Yet there was work. You know, if you are uh, part of the entitled generation that thinks that the world owes you everything, your your education, your housing, your food, your, your everything, and that uh, you don't need to work for anything, you're not going to like uh, living with Yahweh. Yahweh is a big fan of work. He thinks work yeah. is adds value. It, it builds character. It creates something worthwhile. So, you know, being, living in the garden isn't about uh, running around and uh, playing all the time. There is work to be done. Uh, we're going to we're going to make a better world. We're going to work together uh, throughout eternity. In fact, creates a a new heaven and earth, as we're we're told He will do. And Yeshaya, we will be there as witnesses and as contributors. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> doesn't it? Work yeah, for those. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to just leave with one other thing, and that is that I, uh, if you're a, a first-time listener or you've been listening and reading these books for a short period of time, 
hearing me tell you that uh, Daniel is uh, mostly a fraud. In fact, uh, Daniel himself is a fraud. The only reason that the book of Daniel has some value is that uh, Gabriel is actually due to David. Uh, and uh, the voice uh, at the uh, the end of the book is uh, Elia uh, that uh, is speaking to us, and Machael is the other witness of the last days. And so what those three men have to say is true, uh, as recorded in the second half of the book, but everything else in the book is false. And to tell you that all of Ezekiel from beginning to end is untrue, in fact, counterproductive. That's uh, that's tough to take. It's uh, until <clears throat> you've come to know Yahweh, you've come to explore the translations that we're providing. You've come to think about and to challenge the the commentary I've written and the insights that I've shared on these programs and in these books, uh, which we've been doing now for 21 years. Uh, until you have foundation and you know who Yahweh is, it's sure for the newbies to try to understand who he is not. And I understand that it's sure. more comforting for people just to say, well, if it's in my Bible, it must be the inspired word of God. Well, that's just not true. <laughs> the entire Christian uh, text in the New Testament is trash. <clears throat> and there are many books in the Bible that are untrue. Um, Daniel and Ezekiel happen to be two of them, but Song of Solomon's is, Ecclesiastes is, Esther is. There are numbers of them uh, for the books, mm-hmm. that, the Bibles that have Enoch in them at uh, rubbish too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yahweh gave us in the Torah a means to determine who was speaking for him and who was not. And he gave it to us for a reason. He expects us to use that tool to get to know him it out. and so that we yeah. can determine when it's God speaking and when this this anti-Semitic rant that wants to kill, well, there are places where he uh, says, I'm going to kill uh, five-thirds of every Jew. Yep. Yeah. What it, you're doing it, is isn't, it isn't enough to kill, to kill uh, you know, Jews uh, a third, a third, a third. Uh, no, he, has, he wants to kill five-thirds of them. And even those that escape, that somehow are spared, he wants to uh, torment and torture and degrade and then exterminate them as well. That is not the God of the Torah and prophets. Mm. That is the Lord of Babylon. And the Lord of Babylon is best served when there are no Jews. I, I would just caution you and say that, yes, we've been doing this for 21 years, so we've learned a lot and developed a, a very... Um, confident understanding of who Yahweh is and with that an understanding of who he is not and mm-hmm. we didn't jump into these these two most recent conclusions um, arbitrarily uh, right. relationship with Yahweh began with writing prophet of doom and tea with terrorists where I proved conclusively that the Quran is uh, is the worst book ever written that uh, Allah was uh, Muhammad's alter ego and that uh, Allah was modeled after Satan because Muhammad was demon-possessed. In addition to Prophet of Doom, which has been read by people all around the world, um, I wrote Questioning Paul. In fact, I've written that book four times. 
and the most recent iteration of it is uh, four volumes long. And it systematically disproves the religion of Christianity and completely dismantles the credibility of the Christian New Testament. Um, this book that we're sharing now on Hosha uh, undermines uh, the Talmud and rabbinic okay. Judaism um, by sharing what God shared with us. So we have been about spelling religious myths for a long time. So it's not the first time that we've encountered this. It's just the first time that we've had to, uh, to prove that a book was not inspired that is accepted by many um, to be true. And, uh, and in the case of uh, Ezekiel and Daniel, uh, two religions die. Um, with uh, with them being shown to be untrue, and and uh, for the really for the enlightened, three religions die. Without Daniel, there is mm-hmm. no Christianity because there's no justification for having a Christ. Yep. And so, without uh, Daniel, Christianity vanishes. And without uh, Ezekiel, uh, there is no Zohar. There is no in fact, Zohar is actually a word that is uh, first appears in Ezekiel chapter eight. There is no Zohar, there is no Kabbalah, and without it, that's the heart of mm-hmm. rabbinic Judaism. It disappears. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, of course, uh, Revelation is based largely on Ezekiel, oh, and what it says is untrue, and it was one of only two books that had even the slightest possibility of having some value, and it disappears. Uh, Islam, because Islam, rabbis in Yathrib, now known as Medina, sold Muhammad Talmud readings. Um, and uh, part of the Talmud readings, they were fascinated, the rabbis, of course, with, uh, and so they told, sold them Talmud readings that included stories of the Magog War and of Gog. And so they have been incorporated into the Quran and in typical Mohammedan fashion, which is uh, stupidly. But uh, nonetheless, they are there, and they're expecting uh, uh, a, uh, a Gog to rise up in a Magog war, and it is just not going to happen. I am particularly relieved, by the way, on that, because the, uh, it was always a, a wonder why there were going to be two wars, why they would be fought in different places and different times, how uh, how... Uh, after God brings an end to one war, would there be any nincompoops on earth that would want to start a second war? And then so many of the countries that are listed that are going to be part of that federation are in places where it's just so unlikely. You know, the Caucasus region is so unlikely you're going to get people from there that are going to flood into Israel uh, and sacrifice their lives to kill Jews. Uh, So... uh, it just didn't make any yeah. sense, and it was really impossible to try to coordinate what Yasha Yah says about um, Muslims flooding into uh, Israel uh, and numbers that exceed the you know, bullets to hold them back um, with the story of the Magog War. So um, right. I am I am relieved. I was expecting to go into the book to uh, to quantify and explain what was predicted, but um, 
I am certainly off the hook on that. Now my only job <laughs> is to continue with the book long enough that uh, I have worn everybody down and I have been able to show that there's nothing in the book that's true. And I don't know how many chapters I need to go through before we say, okay, okay, uncle already, you've proven the case, let's move on. But um, without uh, without those two Babylonian books, all of the gobbledygook goes away. All the mysticism, yeah. all of the the craziness, and you have one consistent story in the Torah and Prophets that's told over a thousand years, just I, yeah, yeah Daniel and Ezekiel are the favorites of Christians. Oh, yeah. Every prophet book writer, every author yeah. uses that. Yep. Wow. And Kabbalists, yep. so you're knocking several religions well, out of the water. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a, it's a good feeling uh, to, uh, to do that. I, I have to say that uh, a couple of days ago I was talking to my wife and saying, you know, I signed up for this job uh, 21 years ago. I've, uh, you know, I did my my penance uh, and and wallowing in the and uh, the malarkey of the Quran for. Well, I did that for uh, between three and four years. That was a long time to thoroughly uh, explain away uh, Islam and to prove that it was a terrorist manifesto and to do so only using uh, the Islamic scriptures. And clearly, the uh, the years I spent exposing and condemning Paul and undermining uh, Christianity, uh, that wasn't a lot of fun either. Um, it is fun translating those psalms. It's fun uh, being part of the audience and when you're analyzing what Moshe had to say to the people of Israel. It's really fun uh, translating and contemplating the insights provided by Yashaya and uh, and Yermia and uh, Zachariah and, uh, and Malachi. It's tremendous fun. Uh, being in Babylon with these nincompoops, not so much fun. So I you know, they know that I signed up for a lot of things. I've had a wonderful ride with Yahweh. This is not my favorite part. And uh, uh, because well, we appreciate I'm it. learning who God is, all I'm proving is this is not God. Um, and so I said, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready to be done with this. And uh, she kept on saying, yeah, you probably are, but uh, it's been 2,500 years and no one's done it. Yes. Mm. So if you don't do it, who is going to do it? Yeah. I'm with uh, Kirk. I'm very glad you're doing it. Yeah, that's yes. what I heard. Yep, so... So anyway, uh, I'll be grumpy for a while. It's uh, it is. It is <laughs> I'm just sorry. It's just like Yahweh. I mean, he comes across when he's dealing with the religiosity of Jews. He's grumpy. I, you can't blame yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, you you can't yeah. have to endure in this. It's aggravating. So I'll be uh, I'll be grumpy for a while. But uh, fortunately, <laughs> this is it. It'll be over. And uh, my, my I guess my one frustration is that. I really tried to uh, to make uh, sense of Ezekiel, so I wrote the first three chapters. But to do it, the only way I could do it was I had to. Uh, I went through and, and I highlighted the statements that could be translated in such a way as you could get a positive message from it, and skipped all the other nonsense. And so 
went and translated them, and I wrote the commentary on them. And then uh, I occasionally went one or two verses either too soon or too late, and I say, wait a minute, this is just not true. And I was having such frustration with the uh, yeah. the appearances of God because it's, it's clearly satanic. I said, okay, yeah. uh, we've got to go, and, and I've done this exactly the wrong way. So I had to go all the way to the beginning, redo everything I had done, and said, the purpose here is not to share the parts that could possibly be interpreted sensibly because we're in Babylon. Babylon means you intermix truth and lies. Uh, and that's the only way right. you can deceive. You know, a steady diet of lies isn't going to fool the fool. Some. So you have to have yeah. some truth and lies intermingled to uh, to uh, uh, be an effective uh, fraud. And so I said, what I've done is I've... Uh, I've done exactly the opposite of what I should have done. So I had to go right back to the beginning and redo it. But um, I'm back into the third chapter now and, and I'm making some progress again. So I it, felt this way uh, about Yaakov. Uh, that was frustrating to me. Yeah, that was another it. one that uh, was uh, was a good challenge that um, Yaakov is, uh, but it wasn't the worst one for me. Uh, Abraham was the worst one for me. Jacob is uh, yeah. is very often an example of bad, yeah, bad behavior. Um, Jacob mm-hmm. represents uh, Israel, and Israel is uh, is wrong more than Israel is right, and so is Jacob. Um, Abraham you know, tempted out his they... wife not once but twice, and um, and mm-hmm. so uh, if you love women and you dislike men abusing women. Uh, Abraham's tough to take. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it was sent okay. But <laughs> here's the reality of the situation, uh, Craig. You know, uh, <laughs> he was the only <laughs> one. <laughs> he was the only one who was willing to was walk it. away from Babylon <laughs> and listen to me. And by the way, he married well. His wife was really sharp. She she had her act <laughs> together, and so. That was my my one option. So, right time, right mm-hmm. place, and I made the most of what I uh, what I could do, and and so God came to uh, have a wonderful relationship with him, even though I look at him and say, "Oh, you idiot, you!" <laughs> but <laughs> thank goodness, you know, it wasn't my, my responsibility. But yeah, um, yeah, it's part of the story that makes the uh, translating and Yahweh's testimony in- interesting. Is that Mm-hmm. Uh, every character in the story is flawed. Every single one. All of them. Yep. Uh, the the only one who's like right ninety nine point nine percent of the time is Moshe. Moshe's got character. He has stamina. He has intellect. He's uh, even though he claims that that he didn't speak well, he's a, a brilliant orator. Uh, um, Magnificent thinker, a man of tremendous character. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, he's he's the one outlier of the group. He is <laughs> he's right, even when he's not with Yahweh uh, and defending his people for the right reason, risking his own life to defend his people. He's a man of character. When he first gets to, into Arabia, 
and he uh, watches the uh, women at the well, and uh, and they're uh, they're being uh, harassed by this raiding party. Uh, you know, he's one eighty-year-old guy, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, and yet he shoes them away. He stands up for the women and uh, takes the risk. Um, so even before he knew Yahweh. Yeah, he was a man of character. I'm, so he's the one outlier. He's the guy that it's hard to find anything that's not lovable uh, and and righteous, right about him. You know, Dode is uh, is of course Yahweh's favorite. Uh, Dode is Yahweh's favorite because he's passionate. He's he's uh, um, aggressive. He's bold. He's courageous. He's brilliant. Uh, yeah, Doe's got the, you know the whole package, but but with all of that uh, comes a um, a personality that is prone to be impulsive and and occasionally make some really stupid statements and uh, do some really dumb stuff. So uh, well, I, I got to like you got to like Doe. the reason I like Doe so much is he he always says the right thing about the right situation, even if the head finds out three minutes later that they were talking about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, know, but he really does some. You know, he does some dumb, dumb yeah. stuff. Yes, and but the excitable. purpose of that is to say, okay. So I'm going to give you an example of the best of humankind. The name is Dode, my beloved. I anointed him as the Masiak Messiah. I call him my son. I am his father. He is the shepherd. He is the branch. He is the Bacor firstborn. He's the most set apart. He is the returning king. He, he's got it all, man. That is the ultimate resume. <laughs> no uh, God, God himself wrote Dode's resume. The really good one. And yet, um, the, the man in the midst of doing brilliant things with his Mashal and with his uh, Mismore and with his life, um, he, uh, he has some real clunkers. And the reason that that's important to us... There's hope. Is that, yeah. <laughs> Even you and I can... Uh, <laughs> and see, we can... Wait. We, we can please... You know, if Dode pleased Yahweh, well, we can please him. Yeah, I have a chance. Small. <laughs> yeah. If Dode can be right, no. we can be right. You know, if, if Dode can, can lay it all out and song... We can write some pretty stirring lyrics as well. Uh, I often, uh, because of uh, the wonderful job that uh, uh, my wife and Jackie have done and the and the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Proof Squad have done, getting these uh, the, the books all together in the new format, I will oh, yeah. often just grab a book and I'll open and I'll read it. And... <laughs> There are places in it where the, the turn of phrase, the, um, the insights, uh, will bring a tear to your eyes. I mean, they, they, you'll read it and say, yikes. I mean, that's Absolutely. amazing. Yeah, and I, I, I was almost in a, an out-of-body experience for me as I read these, these things. And, right. And, you know, there's, there's 15,000 pages, and every page has something of, uh, of value, uh, many that will change your life, many that are unheld or heralded. They have never been written before. And I so it's amazing what Yahweh can do important. with flawed instruments. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. I, I used to you were talking earlier. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
Oh, he, Craig had mentioned earlier about his negativity, and it's just this is necessary. Uh, not everything is pleasant, but when you're, you know, the Torah cuts away what's not good, and that's what you're doing. You're showing what Yahweh's message really contains and how to apply it. These books are that that is what you're doing. So the, the negativity doesn't bother me because I know what it's for and who it's for. And Yahweh talks about in Hosea two fourteen tonight. You read. They, they've been, the people have been deceived by the rabbis. And yes, they have. you're clarifying that deception, so it's not negative at all. It's, it's vital. It's saving. Yeah, yeah we, we yeah. live in a world where Yahweh's words are very seldom contemplated. Very few people draw insights from them, know how to apply them to their lives, and that's the purpose of the Yada Yahweh series is to help yeah. Those who are open-minded come to know Yahweh, uh, gain an appreciation for what he is offering, and understand what he is expecting in return. Uh, That is our gift, and it is all there at the Yada Yahweh site. We talk about it on these programs, really to draw your attention to the books. Yahweh has an overwhelming preference for the written word, and so do we. Um, So I would encourage you to, (laughs) to read them. I would if you're a newbie to this uh, program, I would start on the uh, with the first book uh, on Introduction to God, <laughs> Volume 1, and read through that series on an Introduction to God, and then read through what is <laughs> is 9, and if I ever finish the book on Ezekiel, it'll be 10 uh, volumes of uh, Yada Yahweh. Um, they are then followed by 5 on Observations, uh, and then 2 on Coming Home. And I would even encourage uh, Jews to read the four volumes of Questioning Paul. Once you come to understand how, Jude- how Judaism conceived Christianity and how uh, Christianity came to, to be anti-Semitic uh, and came up with the concept of replacement theology, the, the whole mythos of Christianity, when it's exposed and condemned, using Yahweh's testimony, I think is just a, a great confidence boost for Jews. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I think that it's probably the, could be as important as any book in the whole series, or books, because there's four of them, uh, for right. Yehudim to read, to understand um, how Christianity came to be and why you ought not be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, well, thank you for all for listening. Well, I was glad the voice did sort of uh, hang out. We survived the even Wookie <laughs> survived. <laughs> How's Wookie, by the way? Yeah, <laughs> the fireworks uh, show. Yeah, I think Wookie uh, stopped shaking now. Wookie's uh, asleep in the in the Wookie bed at my feet, and uh, Asher is is uh, as well. So all is well here in the on the. Caribbean island of St. Croix. Uh, I wish you guys the best in Florida and in California. You too. Uh, good night. Thank all. you. you too, Happy friends. Shabbat. Good night. Shabbat Shalom. Good night, y'all. Shabbat Shalom. Bye.